going to be a good podcast, I already know. Yeah. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to the Rectag podcast. Uh, my name is Pasky, and our special guest today is Jasmine. Hello, Jasmine. Welcome to the Red Tech Podcast. Um, uh, we're really excited to have you here. Jasmine, uh, for our listeners, Jasmine is a transformational coach, a consultant, trainer, a TEDx speaker, and a performance artist from the US and based now in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's passionate about self-expression, transformation, and supports individuals and companies to become aware of their limitations and unleash their innate potential. Welcome Thank to you. our podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, could you tell us more? Uh, <laughs> more about oh, that? <laughs> yeah. I was like, when, hearing somebody speak that out loud, I'm like, that sounds kind of boring. <laughs> really, you think? <laughs> the last part, I'm like, supporting people. I'm like, wait, do I, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's No, 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 exciting, no. I mean, yeah. I'm not, not to take away from what I wrote, but <laughs> when I actually hear somebody say it, I'm like, oh, it sounds different <laughs> than reading it. <laughs> uh, maybe that was my delivery. No, no, I, I don't I, know. I hope that was fine. <laughs> Sorry. When I read it, I thought uh, that's actually very interesting oh, cool. and especially Thanks. transformational <laughs> yeah, coach. Yeah. Um, I'm not too sure what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, could you explain more ab- to me and the listeners? Yeah. So basically, to be honest, I call myself a transformational coach just because I know that I need to call myself something because people need labels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the kind of work that I do is basically it's going into the depth of a person to see what is it that really limits them what are their their traumas what are their fears what holds them back from really being free mm-hmm. from really being who they truly are and really moving forward towards their purpose let's say towards their potential and the transformational part is really transforming let's say their beliefs so we all have conscious and unconscious beliefs and our belief system is what creates our reality and there's a lot that's in our unconscious that we are not aware of you see that's unconscious right so we're not aware of it and a lot of these limiting beliefs are things that are creating that experience that people have and a lot of people don't know what those are so a lot of common I'll, I'll state some common limiting beliefs like I'm not good enough I'm not important I'm not lovable right. I need to work hard to succeed um, success you know with success you need blood and tears so there's all these different beliefs that people have so if you have these beliefs and you're not aware of them this is what you're going to experience in your reality yeah so I can tell you what one of mine was one of the first ones that I came into contact with was it that I am too much I'm too much of a person, I am too loud, I am too woman, I am too sexual, I am too loud, I am too tall, I'm too big, (laughs) whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always had this unconscious belief until I started working on it. And even though it's still there a little bit, I've, I've really transformed it. And now the way I am, I don't allow this belief of I am too much to get in the way of me being who I am. Even though there are some people that may experience me as too much, that's fine. But so long as I don't live my life as I am too much, therefore I cannot say this or I cannot be this or I cannot do this. Right. right? So that's one example of transformation. It's transforming these beliefs mm-hmm. to the opposite. So in this case, the opposite of I am too much is I am not too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I'm perfect as I am. And as an example, yeah. So there's many other beliefs that you can use as anchors that are the opposite of that. I am good enough. I am perfect as I am. So. And how do yeah. you transform a belief that's so strong and 
deeply rooted? Mm, well, I mean, it's a process. I mean, there's there's been some workshops that I've participated in and I've also co-trained in, um, which I learned through a woman that I've been working with in Hamburg. And it's a three-day process that goes into into really going into these these deep beliefs that one has. And in this three-day workshop, there is there is some deep transformation that's happening. Of course, it depends on where that person is at in their lives, how ready they are to really transform this belief because there's some people that are at different stages in their life. There's some people that have, let's say, more mental dysfunctionalities that, that hinder them from really working on these beliefs. So it, it, it varies from person to person. For some people, when they, find, when they find out about a belief like this, it can be that within weeks, they really change it. Yeah, through through their being and through and through their actions. Mm -hmm. For some people, it may take a year or it may take two years because it's just so ingrained that it just takes a longer time. Right. First of all, to accept it that this beliefs lies within them, but also to see what can what can I do to really change this belief, right? So, of course, if we, I'll just use this example that I have that I've had of I am too much. If I act out something and I realize in that moment that, oh my God, I just said that because I think I'm too much, then I can retract that or I can then just voice it to the person like, you know what, I realize that I just said this because I think that I'm too much, but I realize that I'm not, right? right? So this that's just a small example. So that's a small example of what you can do to kind of, you know, bring yourself back to to living the opposite of that belief, which right. is, I am not too much. So yeah. it starts with awareness, I guess. Yeah, I mean, with, with transformation, I've seen that the first step is always becoming aware. Because if you're not aware, then how can you change or transform something if you're not aware of it? Mm -hmm. The first step is always awareness. And then it's about acknowledging it and embracing it. What I find through clients that I've had, through people and also through my own personal experience in the beginning was that when I found out something about me that I didn't like, I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how can I get rid of this fast? And that's what happens to all of us. I'm like, how can I get rid of this? I want it done now. Like, yeah. I just want to let it go. I want to drop it. And it's it's not an overnight process. It's not it's not instant gratification, you know, <laughs> right. even though we live in that kind of world, but it's not like that. <laughs> the first step is always to become aware and to embrace it, to accept that it's there, to, in fact, love it. So if if, I don't know, if somebody finds out that they have... I don't know, a pattern or a belief of, I think, I think human beings are, are shit. You know, some people have these beliefs. You see that sometimes in the way people act. Mm -hmm. Some people, they think people are shit, but they love animals, right? There's nothing wrong with them loving animals, but sometimes people just think human beings are the worst. Yeah. So, oh my God, I totally lost my check. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! This is, this is not the first time it happens. So, it happened today. Think, um, uh, people are the worst, but treat animals. Yeah. Right. But I had a point to that before. Oh my God! What did I? Who was I saying? Maybe we can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. So if people are become aware mm -hmm. that oh my God, they have this belief of human beings are are, are are shitty, and they're ashamed that they have this belief, then they they suppress it and then they treat that belief like it doesn't belong within them. Like it's it's something that they want to hide, that they want to not show, that they want to act like it doesn't, like it's not existing. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it does. So in order for us to transform something like that, then we have to love it. We have to embrace it and accept that it's there because it right. is. Right. Us hiding something 
it doesn't make it go away. It's only going to take that much longer for it to get out of your system, uh, right? Yeah. So whatever that is, whatever it is, I mean, it can be a belief, it can be a trauma, it can be a belief, a pattern, whatever it is. I mean, the more we suppress something, the more we hide something, the more it's in in the shadows and the darkness, the the longer it right. is, to, it's still going to persist. Yeah. It needs to come to light. Right. Uh, in yeah. one way or another. Not, that doesn't mean that you have to publicize it to the world, mm -hmm. but you have to at least acknowledge it. Yeah. And say like, hey, like it it's been it's been a part of me, or it's been in my system for this long, and I have to give it love so that it can feel like it's not being just like yanked out. Yeah. How do you give something love that you are ashamed of or? Well, hate or I mean the the easy answer to that is through compassion but of course it's it's easier said than done for, right. for many right because yeah. if it's something very heavy I mean there's some people that that have really like really crazy I don't even want to label it as crazy but they have these like beliefs of you know like I I, I, I want to murder people you know or or I want to you know sexually like you know molest people because it makes me feel good and and you have you have some people that that says but they're ashamed of it right. so where does this come from you know they're not happy with it that's right. why you you see a lot of also you know people that commit suicide when when their their shadows come to light when it comes to that kind of stuff uh, you know because they're actually ashamed of it I mean right. and this is this all goes down to just really serious mental health issues right right so so someone has really dark thoughts or, yeah. or desires like that yeah i mean first of all we have to understand that if we have this belief we created it for a reason and normally these beliefs that we have they're created from from childhood mm -hmm. and from childhood we either created these beliefs because of our because of our experience or because we took over the beliefs from our parents. So it can be that there's some belief that you took over your parents that then you somehow manifested in a different way. Mm -hmm. Or it can be, for example, that, I don't know, maybe you saw, um, you know, porn since you were like three years old accidentally mm -hmm. as a child because of course children technically should not be seen, should not be exposed to that kind of stuff. If they see that, maybe something happened in their brain that made them think that doing that stuff was okay and then they create, and then uh, and then right. beliefs start coming about, you know. Right. But again, it's not only that. It's how do you, how do your parents treat you, right? right? If your parents tell you that you're useless, or it's like, oh, you don't know how to do that. It can be something simple. It can be something as simple as you don't know how to brush your teeth right. You right. you never know how to do that right. Sometimes we're we're told that, you know. Right. But then but then that gets stuck into our brain, into right. our system, and then we start believing that we are just not good enough, period. Mm -hmm. That we don't know how to do anything, period. Mm -hmm. Right? So as little kids, like we, we take in things like a sponge. We just absorb things. Yeah, not absolutely. just from our, predominantly from our parents, from how we experience them, but also what we take, take on from them, but also just social conditioning, cultural conditioning, what we take on from our culture, yeah. from our upbringing, society, universal conditioning, you right. know, we have that as well. So there's, we're complex beings for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's there's then there's no easy there's no easy answer, but definitely to understand that that there's a root of this, and if if there are these kind of shameful, let's say, beliefs, they on some level they created uh, a space of sanity for us. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't have these beliefs. They served us to a certain extent. There was some sort of benefit for us to have these beliefs. Otherwise, we wouldn't have them. Even though we have limiting beliefs, 
and it, it technically doesn't serve the greater good, mm-hmm. it did have a benefit. If it didn't have a benefit, then we wouldn't have uh, these beliefs. I, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know? s- s- yeah, we're here to survive, and anything we do, uh, even if it's just a belief, I guess serves our purpose. But I guess a limiting belief, as I say, is limiting, but yeah. it had some original purpose in the first place. Maybe not allow us to, yeah. to get out of the comfort zone because that's scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So an, an example of that can be um, maybe somebody having a belief that I'm a victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if somebody has this belief of I'm always a victim or I'm just a victim, then the benefit of that, even though of course nobody wants to always feel like a victim, right? Yeah. Um, is that the benefit of that is that then you don't have to take responsibility for yourself because you're always right. helpless. Right. So as a, as a victim, you're helpless, right? Mm-hmm. You're kind of powerless in, in some in some way, shape, or form. Yes. So if you're if you experience yourself helpless and powerless as a victim, then it's easy to not take responsibility for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah? So that is the benefit. Right. So if we have this kind of belief, guess how our childhood was, right? We never had to take responsibility for ourselves right. because maybe we learned that from our mother or our father, or they told us that, mm-hmm. or they gave us that experience. Yeah. You know? So there's yeah, it can. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite complex again. Well, yeah, very, uh, wow. Yeah, that's so true. I, I yeah. actually didn't think about it that way. Um, and I think it, it's true. Like, I learned myself also, right? Whatever you resist will persist. Yeah. And um, you have to bring stuff to light and embrace yeah. everything so that yeah. you're comfortable with it. And, um, yeah. I also uh, read this book once and I saw actually that you... Are a fan of hers as well, Brenda Brown. Yes. Yeah. I haven't read any of her books, but I, I did watch uh, her her TED talk her of TED the power of okay. vulnerability, and I saw her Netflix special. Yeah. I oh, really Netflix like special. Her. Yeah. She has a Netflix. Uh, yeah. I don't remember the name of it. Dare to be brave. I don't know. It's something. I don't. I don't remember what the name of it is. But yeah, it was released earlier this year. I think. Oh, okay. And it's like a talk or is it a... Yeah, she was okay. like on stage and some, oh, at some event and it was like recorded. Special? Netflix special sounds like a comedy special. Oh, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. Although, you know what? Actually, I watched it with a friend and they're like, um, is this supposed to be a comedy oh. special? Because, you know, she's a bit, she's a bit funny. Yeah, she is. She's actually... <laughs> she's a bit funny, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, she says her main message is uh, shame is something... Talking about shame... Uh, allows us to be happy, right? In yeah. the long term. Yeah. I guess, which is a very contradictory thing because... Yeah, it's not easy to talk about shame, to talk about what we're ashamed of. Right. And I think one of the reasons why we, why people tend, no, I mean, I'll include, I'll include myself in this for sure, is that we don't want to talk about our shames because we are afraid that we're going to be left alone. And, and I mean, Brene even talks about this as well. You know, we all want to belong. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> we yeah. don't want to belong. We all don't want to feel like we're outcasted, like we're alone in something. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that, first of all, we're never alone. That's just an illusion. It's a concept. But also, I mean, everyone has their own shames. Everyone has their own fears and their own traumas that they go through. We're not. We're definitely not alone in that. We all have them. There's nobody exempt from that at all. I mean, even people that work more on transformation or that are closer to enlightenment, we all have our stuff. Right. We love our stuff. It's sure. but but I mean, some people definitely are less ashamed because they've overcome this notion of them feeling like they're not they're not going to be accepted for who they are. Mm-hmm. But you know, for the most part, most people, you know, they still they still struggle with these kind of things. I mean, I, I can say out of, I can't speak out of personal experience. Uh, my family would never talked about problems or serious things, yeah. and then uh, I learned it only as an adult. When I openly talked about uh, struggles or issues uh, mm. I'm facing, then I felt much happier. Mm. I felt 
vulnerable and I could connect with people much better. Yeah. And so I definitely identify with that. I remember for a while, like I can share one thing that I was really ashamed of, but I'm not anymore. I'm actually kind of, <laughs> I don't want to say proud of it, but I could, give, I could care less. I was, for a long time, I was ashamed that I actually never like legitimately graduated from college. Mm-hmm. I went to university um, in LA. And I mean, when I, when you go to like a Cal State University a school in California, I went to California State University of Northridge. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a commuter school. So a lot of people take, take some like, five, six, seven, eight years to like, you know, go through the actual (laughs) four-year curriculum. Um, And I was there for about six years because I was just roaming around. But I actually never finished school. I actually kind of flunked out Mm -hmm. because I just, I realized that I I just didn't fit into the system. And now in retrospect, I see that, yeah, I just never fit into that system, that whole educational system. I just don't fit into it. But back then, that's all I knew. Like, that's what you did. I mean, if you go to college, you finish college. doesn't matter how long it takes you. Right, but the fact that I flunked out, and I flunked out because I wouldn't wake up early in the morning. I was too involved in extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it was hard for me to focus. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can give you all these different excuses, but the thing is that I just realized that it just wasn't my thing. Not that I didn't like to learn, but also a lot of things that I that I did learn, I could care less about. And to be honest, I can never really. It didn't do me any good. Right. You know, I'm not using any of it. In <laughs> fact, I'm not using much of anything that I learned. You know, in college, yeah. what I did take a lot from it was the extracurricular activities that I was involved in and on all the people that I met and the network right. that I built. Right. So for a long time, I was ashamed of, of not having finished the university, not having an actual college degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, in essence, I, I do because I, I actually did all the classes that I needed. I just didn't get the official certificate. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I was ashamed for that for a very, very long time because I thought that I'm less of a person. I'm less valuable, I'm less important, or I'm more stupid somehow if I didn't actually get a degree. But I know now, and for the last, I don't know how many years, that that is not the case. You know, a degree does not define me. Just because I don't have a degree, it doesn't mean I'm not smart. Right. You know, I mean... Some of the most brilliant minds didn't finish college, you know, exactly, and, yeah. and it also doesn't matter whether you finish college or not. I mean, I'm not saying that people should not finish college, but mm-hmm. just for me, I realized that it just wasn't for me. And I need to honor that, right. that I just didn't fit into that kind of system. When did that belief start to change? And- um, I want to say about maybe around four years ago or so. Yeah. Like it's- after a certain event or just it wasn't after a certain event it was it was just more after i started more doing my own transformational mm-hmm. journey i just started learning more about like like what makes me important what makes me valuable and what makes me valuable is just me being me right you know like yeah. we're all we're and that sense we're all equal we all have different things to contribute mm-hmm. we all have different talents but we're all we're all equal mm-hmm. in that sense you know you're not better than me and i'm not better than you right. and if you have more money, that doesn't make you better than me. And no. if you have all these different degrees, it doesn't make you better, it doesn't make me better. Right. You know? So it's all relative. Right. You, know? uh, you, you just mentioned, uh, you know, you went on a search. Uh, so uh, mm. you, you were working in the corporate world uh, for seven years. Yeah. And then um, you traveled the world for 14 months mm-hmm. before you settled here. Um, yeah, what did you learn during your travel? And what made you come to Berlin and become a coach? And also, why did you leave the corporate world in yeah, the first place? Yeah. So I was working for Universal Music back in the U.S. I worked with them for about eight years. And I kind of had an epiphany right around uh, the summer of 2010. Mm-hmm. 
It was around the time when I turned 29, so that will give you my age. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care either. (laughs) Yes, I'm 38. Um, And and I felt some sort of void in my life, but I couldn't really explain what it was. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to friends. I started reading meditation books, meditating. And I remember during that, uh, at the end of that year, me and some friends were going to go to Southeast Asia at the end of the year. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do some volunteer work there and I'll get answers there or something. I don't know. And then during that time was when the movie Eat, Pray, Love came out. Oh, yeah. And then me and my group of friends, we decided we were going to go watch it. Me and another friend, we said, oh, you know what? Let's read the book so we can be the cool ones to say, oh, the book was better. (laughs) Which, in fact, it was, but nevertheless. And that was really the only reason why I started to read it. And I would read it every day uh, during my lunch break. And I would go to the park and read it. And then three quarters into the book, I remember that it was, n- it was not like an important line in the book by any means. But just after reading it three quarters in, I remember that I, I, I dropped the book. I looked up at the sky. <laughs> some, is that uh, me? I don't know. No, there's some sound coming off from the uh, from the other room, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's not us. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you realized. Um, yeah. So I remember dropping the book and I looked at the sky and I started crying. And from that moment on, I just knew in every part of my body that I was going to save money quit my job and travel the world and it was just like an instant knowing just like just like how you know you're a man like do you doubt that you're a man i know how how sure are you are you like a thousand percent yeah (laughs) you're sure right like there's just no doubt that that's that's what it is right so for me that's how much certainty i had like there was just no question about it but but reading the book and then yeah there was it, I mean, the book was what triggered mm-hmm. something in me mm-hmm. to see that this is what I needed to do. And there was no question that I was going to do that, that I was going to, again, save money, quit my job and yeah. travel the world. I don't know how I was going to do it. I don't know what was going to happen, but I just knew that that was going to happen. And so from that moment on, I did whatever I could to save money. I left I, I left the apartment that I was in. I got rid of my car. I moved into a one-bedroom apartment with my two younger brothers for some time. Mm-hmm. And I think I lived off of like, I don't know, a fifth or a quarter of my paycheck. And then finally in, in May, I left my job. And then I started traveling. And I remember that one of the intentions that I had was to find a city to move to. But I had no idea where. I had thought maybe Barcelona could be a city because I had been there before. I liked it and I speak mm-hmm. the language. I'm Mexican. Mm-hmm. And... And so I started my travels and I started in Barcelona for three weeks and I was in Spain for a month and I went to Greece for, for about three weeks. And while I was in Greece, my best friend in LA, who's married to a German, she was going to come visit her sister-in-law in Berlin and she wanted me to come. And I'm like, okay, fine. Coming to Berlin or Germany, that was not in my plans by <laughs> any means, shape or form. Right. I wanted to continue to Turkey after Greece, explore the Middle East and just explore other third world countries. I don't want to explore the Western world mm-hmm. anymore. But anyway, I said, okay, I'll come to Berlin for a week. I'll go to Munich and then I'll continue. And after being in Berlin for about three days, I just fell in love with the city and I decided that I would move here when I was done traveling. So, I mean, in essence, the whole that that whole thing started by me listening to something deep within myself. Like I was depressed. It wasn't it wasn't a specific feeling, but there was just something that I couldn't I couldn't explain what it was. And I just knew that something was calling me. And, and that book that you pray love was something that that helped me find that out. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, I feel like all of this kind of just led for me to really get to know who I am. So everything was about 
a self-discovery journey and me traveling supported me in that. I mean, I traveled to many different places, but I didn't travel to too many different countries. I mean, I mostly stayed in a country like for about a month mm. and then I was in India for like four months. Okay. So that was a big chunk of my trip, right. even though I did travel to many different places in India and experience many different things. Right, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So... So yeah, so there was a lot of self-discovery in that in that trip as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of socializing, a lot of like internal reflections. Uh, you know, I, I also did a lot of like ashrams and I did a yoga teacher training, a meditation course in India. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot that I kind of went into and that was what kind of got me more into the whole world, the whole notion of spirituality and self-discovery and personal development. And then once I moved to Berlin, I knew that I wasn't going to like work for a company anymore. And I was still in search of what was next. And I ended up doing this personal development training course uh, with some company. And I really liked what they did. And I continued doing those training courses for personal development reasons, just because I wanted to know more about myself. Yeah. And then through the course of that, because they also do, that's also part of the life coaching training program that they do, I realized that I wanted to be a coach. So then I ended up being a coach and a trainer for them as well. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how my, my let's the say, professional, started. my professional life started in, in terms of, in terms of coaching. Right. As well as my own personal transformation, because that, that happened in parallel as well. Yeah. And I also say that, like, the more that I realize that the more that I work on myself, the more transformational work that I do, the more I expand, the more I'm able to support people mm -hmm. and, and work with people and understand right. people. Yeah. You know, because the depth to however far you go into your own light, into your own shadow, is is the extent of how deep you can go with another person. Right. Basically. So, you know? what are things most clients of yours struggle with? Why do they seek you out? To be honest, it's all, it's all been very many different reasons. Um, oftentimes it's uh, relationships, whether it's with parents or with romantic, you know, right. partners yeah. or the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes it's like a lack of, of confidence as well. Mm -hmm. They're insecure about who they are, about what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Some people come to me because they just feel stuck in life. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. Like they feel just completely blocked on all levels and they feel like they just don't know what to do or where to go. Mm -hmm. uh, those are some examples. Um, also, when I first started coaching, I was definitely more into the topic of sexuality, mm -hmm. more in terms of like how you connect with yourself sexually, how you connect with others, what your yeah. sexual fears and right. limitations are. I've, I've had clients come to me for, for those topics as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, by the way, I uh, I saw your TED talk yeah, and it was uh, great. And I oh, think it's thanks. it's amazing yeah. that you you talk about this because I feel like even in 2019, um, people kind of shy away from talking about this, although it's something that yeah. is so important in all of our lives. Yeah. And yet it's somehow a taboo. It's still very yeah. much a taboo. Right. And you, and it's funny because some people say that in Berlin it's not a taboo. And I think what's not a taboo in Berlin is having being more open in terms of like open relationships because how often do you not hear about you know <laughs> you know people being in poly relationships yeah. or open relationships it's more of the thing <laughs> um so you hear a lot a lot about that but nevertheless sometimes people still don't feel very open to talk about just their own sexuality and again it's not that i mean it's not that people have to talk you know to strangers or out to the public about whether i don't know they orgasmed and when they had sex or not it's not about going into those kind of details it's more just being comfortable with yourself right. being comfortable with your own sexuality whatever that is being comfortable with your body mm -hmm. 
yeah, being comfortable with expressing yourself, not just sexually, but the way we the way we express ourselves, the way we create our creativity, that all comes from our sexual energy. It comes from the same place. Right. So being being sexually open or being in touch with your sexuality doesn't necessarily mean it's not just limited to the act of sex or to the eroticism of sex. It's also about creativity. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people don't see that. And I see a lot of people who, let's say, are into open relationships or things like that, but are not really releasing any kind of creativity. And creativity doesn't look like just, you know, writing songs or poems or singing or anything like that. It's creativity can be manifested in many different ways. You can be a developer and be creative, you know, so it's not yeah. about the typical thing that we think about when we think of creativity. Right. So... What do you mean exactly when someone is, a, for example, in an open relationship and seems very open towards that, but they're not creative? So. I mean, I'm just giving an example that that's a possibility. I mean, there's been people that I've met that are, I don't want to say, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, it, there's certain things that I just wanted to say, but I'm like, then some people may pick up who I'm talking about. Who know me? So, I mean, there are some people that I've met that, you know, are in open relationships mm-hmm. and I can feel that they they don't know how to express themselves that their their creativity is just kind of like blocked i can sense that from 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 them yeah. you know just the way they interact and stuff you can see that they're very blocked so just because you're open and you're able to talk about sex and able to go to sex parties that doesn't necessarily equate to you being completely i don't want to say open but just being okay with who you are as a sexual being and being connected to that and again, because creativity comes from, you know, our, our sexual energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the same thing. So, I mean, and again, I mean, when I mean sexual energy, it doesn't mean that you have to be turned on, <laughs> right. you know, physically in your genitals or anything like that. And that's another misconception right. that people feel like just because I'm, if I say that I'm not sexually blocked and that my creativity is flowing out of my, out of my sexual energy, that doesn't mean that I'm like always like turned on or aroused like mm-hmm. physically. I mean, you can be aroused in a different way. I mean, I've been aroused in, in different ways, but it's not coming out of my genitals. Right. You know, so it's a different, it's a different experience. Yeah. So. Uh, what's your opinion? I'm curious because I've heard, um, especially here in Berlin, again, uh, as you said, uh, many people are in open relationships, and don't believe in monogamy, for example. Mm-hmm. And I've seen many people say, oh, monogamy is not natural. It's something we created and <laughs> it's unhealthy, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, I mean, I would just like to hear your opinion. Uh <laughs> Uh, is monogamy to my future boyfriends out there (laughs) (laughs) i believe in monogamy (laughs) no i'm kidding um no i'm not kidding but you know it's a really good question on some level i feel like monogamy is definitely a concept that was created for some sort of need of control yeah but i'm not opposed to monogamy i mean i I, I would not want to be with more than one person at once. Mm-hmm. There's all, it's, I find that relationships are already quite complex. As it is. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, especially energetically, I mean, there's so much that you that you experience with, with a partner and, you know, you want to be there for them, you want to support them, you want to accept them. Mm-hmm. You're giving them their time, you're giving them your energy and understanding and, and, and commitment on some level. So to do that with more than one person at one time, for me, I'm like, that's that that's that would be too much for mm-hmm. me. Um, I have been in open relationships before. Um, I tried that. Mm-hmm. And on some level, I was okay with it. But then towards the end, I'm like, you know what? This is not for me. Like, I tried it. I wanted to explore it. I thought that it was for me. But also what I saw for myself, and again, this is not to say that everybody who's in open relationships is like this, but I know for myself, I realized that I was... I was in open relationships more out of fear because being in open relationship meant that nobody can actually hurt me. 
because it was already the relationship was prefaced by you know you can be with whoever you want yeah. and I can be with whoever I want yeah. so you can't be hurt because you already know right right whether if but if it's monog if you're monogamous mm -hmm. then it's easier to become hurt of course. yeah so then for me it came it was coming more out of fear uh -huh. so I think that to be in a relationship I mean you know I mean I personally don't know anybody who's in an who's let's say in a successful open relationship <laughs> what, what does successful open relationship mean i don't know mm -hmm. but for me just because i'm very like hypersensitive i can sense into the energies of people yeah if if given the opportunity of course and i, I can sense that you know there's oftentimes a lot of sadness you know and a lot of frustration and a lot of Especially like jealousy from one party yeah yeah okay. oftentimes so surely it's possible i i would assume but i think that at the end, it needs to come from love and not fear. Mm -hmm. And I think that oftentimes open relationships come more out of fear, the fear of not wanting to, you know, be tied down. Because most of the times what I hear about open people in open relationships is that they want to be free. They don't want to be tied down. Okay. I, I, hear, I, hear, I hear that a lot. And again, I'm just talking about things that I've heard. I'm not, I'm not an expert in this <laughs> by any means. And I'm not saying that open relationships is good or bad or that monogamy is good or bad. I'm just sharing like what, how I personally experience it. Right. So, I mean, to each their own. I mean, I th again, I think the most important thing is for people to be honest with themselves, whether they're in a monogamous relationship or whether they're in an open relationship to find out what is it that you're getting from this? How are you contributing? Are you in this kind of relationship because out of fear? Are you in this relationship out of love? Yeah. Not like that you love or don't love the person, but like your decision or how you're being in a relationship is this coming out of fear? Is it because you fear, you know, being cheated on, so it's better to be in an open relationship? Oh, so right. if that's the reason why you're in a relationship, then then it's probably it's you're 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 gonna still probably experience some level of pain or suffering. Yeah. And so you mentioned in your TED talk also you grew up um in a household that was uh, where you did not speak about sex. Oh, only. no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> yes. Uh, how did that develop that you now can speak so freely about it? And, <laughs> you know, you help other people. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, don't really, I don't really know the exact answer, but I think it just has more to do with the fact that I, I came more into my own mm -hmm. and I started to feel more comfortable expressing myself and expressing who I am. Mm -hmm. And... I am, I mean, we're all sexual beings right. and I can experience myself as a sexual being. And I'm like, hey, there's nothing wrong with me experience myself as a sexual being. And there's nothing wrong with me, you know, having this innate desire to, you know, have sex with somebody. There's nothing wrong with me experiencing being aroused. There's nothing, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong about that. I mean, that's how we all came to life. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, true. I mean, that's true. I mean, if it wasn't for sex, none of us would be here. We would not be talking. So why is it that... It's so bad to to even mention the word. My parents would never, they would not, never even utter the word sex. They would say, you know, that thing that you do to make babies. Oh. Uh, <laughs> right? Wow. Or that thing that you do after you get married. Yeah. Right? So that's the way it was described. <laughs> okay. So again, for me, it's more like realizing that there's nothing wrong with sex. Mm -hmm. There's nothing bad about it. I mean, depending on how you relate to sex and depending on how you act towards it, then of course it can be bad. I mean, especially, you know, if we're, if we're talking about like, you know, people, you know, molesting people or raping, then of course, and that has a negative connotation to it. And then yeah. you're abusing basically, right? Right. But that's, that's a different story. So, but when I'm just talking about acknowledging that sex in its purity, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's just, it's just what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's out of this creative energy to create, Mm -hmm. whether it's a baby or an idea or something 
there's nothing wrong with it. It's how we came to be. So coming to terms with that and me coming to terms more with who I am and learning how to express myself more, that's what kind of made it easier for me to be like, oh, yeah, I can talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) And I've always just been very like carefree and like kind of like whatever, (laughs) you know, about the topic, (laughs) even before like my travels, even when I was still in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But before it was more just because I was seeking attention. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was my way of seeking attention before. <laughs> talking about sex? Uh, I mean, talking about it, but just being more, let's say, perverted uh, <laughs> about it. Maybe not like in the, maybe not in the most like natural best way. <laughs> okay, because I, I will say also, I think uh, I used to do a lot of dirty jokes. Mm-hmm. I think that came out of insecurity yeah. and uh, at least for me. Yeah. I mean, I still like dirty yeah. jokes. I enjoy them. Yeah. <laughs> like Dave Chappelle's one of my favorite comedians. Oh, he's yeah, he's funny. And I mean, you hear his jokes. I mean, he. I mean, yeah. I just wa- I just watched like one of his last specials, and there's something that he said. I'm not. I mean, I could repeat it, but I was like, oh my god, no, he didn't go there. Oh <laughs> shit. And it's dirty, but it's bad. It's awful, but you know, it's you know, you have to take things with a grain of salt. I mean, right. it's nothing. I'm sure he doesn't mean it, so <laughs> it's just <laughs> something wrong with Dirty Joe. Yeah, I saw I saw his newest special too, and there were. Did you watch it? Yeah, uh, I, I forgot what, what it's Sticks called. Sticks and yeah, that one exactly. And there were a couple of things I disagreed with, but then it still makes you laugh. Yeah, yeah, were so good. That, okay. Well, for those of you who are curious, just watch the watch the last Dave Chappelle special on Netflix. It's Sticks and Sticks and Bones. I, I think Sticks something and like something. Yeah. But something it's, it's like really that. funny. Yeah. yeah. Very controversial. Very controversial. But I think that makes it even funnier because yeah. it's edgier. And Apparently, a lot of people were very butthurt about it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but so yeah. so yeah, so I I I enjoy dirty jokes. <laughs> well, talking of uh, of comedy specials, uh, you, you mentioned before you did um, you do poetry slam also. I did Are one. You, yeah. yeah, I did one. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? And especially... It well, wasn't comedy, for well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, like, in the verge of tears when I said <laughs> Because <laughs> <laughs> what was so fascinating to me was you mentioned that you, you had a um, TEDx talk, which so, must be so nerve-wracking, yeah, yet yeah, you yeah. say Poetry Slam was much, much more, more nerve-wracking right, than right. the TED. That, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, of course, during the TED talk, I mean, there were, there were a lot of nerves there because I've never... Even though I've talked with, in front of many people, that was the first time that I did it with that level of production. Mm-hmm. And just the, like, literally the lights, camera, action, that whole thing, I was like, oh, I, I literally felt like the whole world was watching me. Yeah, which they are, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On, on, some, on some level. Yeah. But with the poetry thing that I did, it was really, I for me, something very vulnerable. Like, they, it was really coming from my heart, like, my, like my, my pains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my vulnerabilities, even not, not to say that I didn't talk about personal stuff in my TED talk because I did, but this was just very different. And also, not only were they personal words that I've experienced, but also it was in some way in the form of poetry. And in my mind, poetry looks and sounds a certain way. And for me to do it the first time and for me to even see that my poetry is not, let's say, a typical kind of poetry, whatever typical is or whatever one, you know, sees as poetry, I'm like, how is this going to be received? Right. And it's the first time that I'm going on stage, you know, reciting poetry, <laughs> you know, like I'm not a poet. I mean, I guess maybe we all are on, on some level, but yeah, it was more that I felt like it was just more of a vulnerable setting for me. And I remember like my hand was even shaking. And yeah, yeah that's interesting because your TED talk was very vulnerable, and very honest and very personal. 
Yeah, it, yeah, that's true. But also, but again, I think it was in form of a talk. If I do it in a create, like in a performative way, like where it's poetry, or if I would have sang a song about it, that would have really like made my legs tremble. Oh, but this okay. is different, right? That's what I mean. When there's like more of this like artistic element to it, mm -hmm. that is what makes me feel more nervous. So I guess it's not so much maybe the words. Now that you point that out. But also talking of performance, you are also a performance artist. Yeah. And uh, I've seen your work; it's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, and <laughs> you're, you definitely do not seem nervous at all. So. <laughs> no, no. I mean, while I'm while I'm doing it, I'm not nervous. Can, can you tell the audience performance art is and what your performance art is? Um, I'll tell you what mine is. So, so I'll start by saying that I was inspired by an, a performance artist, or mm -hmm. just an artist dancer. Her name is Heather Hansen. She's from Texas, and I and I watched this video of hers, and I found it so inspiring, so beautiful that I'm like okay like I need to do this and and then I did it just on my own and I really loved how I felt when I was doing it and I continued doing it and I realized at one point I'm like this is a performance what I'm doing here I'm like this is not just for me so then I started doing the mess performances so basically what it is is I get like a, a three by three meter piece of a canvas and then I lay it on the ground and then I get charcoal and I usually start off by laying down on the canvas and then I kind of just move my body around in different ways and with charcoal in both hands my hands just kind of start drying, you know, on the canvas and it starts moving in certain ways. And I just kind of move in whatever way my body wants to move. And what I started doing or what I started realizing in some of the performances is that even though I'm doing that, I feel like what is happening is that I'm taking in more the energy of the people that are there. And I'm kind of, uh. let's say, channeling or expressing more like what is what is in my environment, yeah. let's say. So it was definitely more about that, the fact that I kind of took took the energy that people took whatever was in the audience mm -hmm. and I and I just channeled that onto the canvas through the drawings. And what happens to the canvas? Um, they're in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. You also mentioned before, uh, so you don't really do the the um, coaching about sexuality that much anymore? No, I mean I meant more that I don't focus on coaching people in, in only in the topic of sexuality. Oh, okay. It does. It definitely ha has happened that with, I would say, nearly every client that I've had for, for a while, mm -hmm. that topic always comes up, and there's always something that I that I end up supporting them in in relation to sexuality. Okay. Yeah. Have you met many people who you you thought, oh my God, they uh, have it all together sexually? I mean, the complete opposite who are so. I don't know. Um, I don't think I met anyone. Because <laughs> I guess it just relates mm. to problems in life, and then that reflects yeah. the sexual life. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I haven't met anyone. Okay. There's definitely people that are more aware and that are more right. connected to themselves mm -hmm. and experience less shame and less fear, and that are allow themselves to be more open and to really let go. Right. Yeah. I mean, I see that with uh, male friends of mine. They, uh, when we were younger, they would be much more boastful and. Uh, <laughs> Exaggerate, yeah, and now yeah. they're more open, and yeah. uh, and it's great to see because then you also yeah. feel like, oh, I'm not the only one, and being vulnerable and just sharing, and I think it's something so normal. We can admit so many other struggles or, or whatever weaknesses, mm -hmm. whatever it is, um, in other parts of our life. But when it comes to sexuality or just romance in general, people are much more guarded, and yeah. yeah. Well, I also think we're in a different time. I think somehow we we're living in a time now where people are are just feel more safe to open up and talk about these things whereas mm -hmm. even just 10 years ago somehow 
it was more of a taboo for us to be more, more vulnerable publicly. Right. And now, like, you see so many people, whether it's celebrities or just, you know, us non-celebrities, you know, that are being more vulnerable and creating more of these kind of spaces where it's okay to talk about these things. And right. and also, I think social media adds to that, you know, because because of social media, I mean, social media can be seen as very great or very bad, but one thing that I love about social media is that you can see you can see so many people, so many different people going through something similar as you are, you know, yeah. so as as a, how you mentioned, like as a, as a man who maybe was at one point, you know, scared to be vulnerable or to share, like, whatever was happening sexually, yeah. I'm sure if you go online somewhere, you, <laughs> you will see many right. guys right. talking about, you know, their own struggles and yeah. they would feel more empowered to be like, okay, like, it's not uncool, right? right? right. So That's true. Yeah. I guess then you could also argue that social media is criticism and really bad trolling etc true but I yeah that that's that's another topic for right sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um yes where can listeners find find out more about you and maybe potentially see another performance of yours well people are free to follow me on instagram <laughs> <laughs> um your, your yeah, my instagram handle is jasmine medrano and then the number one um, and I also have a website. It's called Unfettered Living. Unfetteredliving.com. That's it's my it's more of my coaching website. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. That was a great. Yes. Uh, it was so interesting talking to you. Yes. Um, thanks. Yeah. Thank you for uh, doing the podcast with us. You're welcome. Um, thank you for inviting. Yeah. <laughs> thanks to all the listeners. And uh, that was yeah. That was a great episode. And hear you next time. <laughs>